0: What's up, guys? This is Kyle Guy from the University of Virginia, national champion, Final Four MVP, and you are listening to the Shadows Podcast. All right, welcome, everybody, to the first episode of our Season 3 of the Rebound Series. And today I am thrilled to have with us Joanne P. McCauley, Coach P. She is an author. She is a speaker, a mental health advocate. She's actually a trailblazer in the mental health field. Hall of Fame Division I women's basketball coach with 646 wins. She's coached as an assistant at Auburn, right up the road from where I am right now. Uh, At Maine, Michigan. She was a head coach at Maine, Michigan State. Duke. Those of you that know me are like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then she earned National Coach of the Year in 2005, led Michigan State to the national title game. She's actually been in three national title games, 22 appearances in the tournament, eight Coach of the Year honors, coached for 32 years, two-time U.S. basketball gold medalist, the first Division I coach to win conference titles in four different conferences, which I thought was super cool. The ACC, the Big Ten, American East, and North Atlantic Conference. Whew. welcome to the shadows podcast
1: <laughs> thank you trip what a wonderful introduction and it's great to be here with you
0: absolutely and uh i love the setup in the back you got the 600 wins behind you with the sneakers and got your book yeah very yep. nice setup that you have going here let our listeners know where you located at
1: oh uh durham north carolina so great you stayed job. in durham Oh yes, absolutely. A in- terrific spot and I think we're in 16 years, I want to say.
0: Okay. And we were talking about it before. Let our listeners know, where did your husband graduate from?
1: In fact, that's <laughs> that, that street down the road that Hill. that Franklin blue, Street. That ugly blue school.
2: <laughs> we
0: were getting along so good. We were getting along so good. Well, all right. Well, this is going to be a fun interview here. But
1: I mean, because wait a minute. But trip that powder blue. I mean,
0: it's color the it, sky.
1: Okay, it's I don't. Know, it's the sky, but it's a soft sky. Duke blue. That's a that's a really rich, rich sky in its depth. And so I just don't know about that color. I, I just don't know about it. But but again, John is a graduate. Yes, he is.
0: Yeah, he yeah, he, he taught there too, didn't he?
1: He did. He was an economics professor. Okay. And I, I generally didn't go on campus for any events. All
0: right. Um I'm about ready is- to interview him. Can he come in here? We <laughs> <laughs> <me> tag out. <laughs> we'll talk about the old well in Franklin Street. So I one of the things that really intrigued me uh, about your there's there's so many things. this is your story is so much deeper than just a basketball coach and doing amazing things off the court. But one thing that I I felt, you know, me and you when we started uh, communicating via email was military life. You grew up the term military brat, I guess, uh, in Monterey. Were you born in Monterey, California? Yes. And then you moved to Florida, New York, Texas, Rhode Island, Maine. Father was a Navy pilot. We were talking about, Uh, how he was a P-3 pilot. So tell us, what was military life like for you growing up?
1: Well, it was uh, a great life, really, moving to new places. I don't remember Monterey that much because I was born there and so little. Um, But when I think about Corpus Christi, uh, Texas, Garden City, New York, of course, my memories in Maine, Orange Park, Florida, uh, in those areas, I remember being new a lot. Yeah. And being introduced as the new girl, so to speak. And I remember the difficulty in trying to get along initially. But at the same time, too, it it sort of made me more confident, you know, that I could kind of do this because Mm -hmm. I had done it before. And uh, so it was a great life. I know my dad loved flying. My mother actually flew solo back in the day. Um, So flying was a part of our our family life, they, wow. my mother um, was sort of Miss British Airways. She's from England. And she met my father in Bermuda. And my father was stationed there. And so that's where their relationship started. And my brother was actually born in Bermuda. Oh, wow. So it's, it's quite a story, actually, quite a love story. And also her leaving England when she was just very young 19 years old. Um, Um, so it's, you know, those stories don't really happen as much anymore, Yeah. Uh, but but Navy life was very, very good to us.
0: Yeah. I was, I was telling you, my, my father was an officer in the Navy and I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get to hear too much of his story before he passed away, but I, I did an episode on him, uh, this past year. And it was really cool for me to unpack those memories and talk to a bunch of people and just find out some really cool stuff about him as well. So yeah, it was an awesome connection to have there. And what were your goals and aspirations growing up? Like, what did you want to do?
1: I wasn't sure. I was really competitive. We were living in orange park and my mom, after some things happened there, my brother was frisked at the high school Mm -hmm. and checking for guns and things. And my mother thought that was like, you know, wow, could this really be happening And so she moved us to Maine where we were stationed prior. We were back in Maine and my father commuted from Jacksonville, Florida to Maine, hopping rides on weekends uh, to get home. And that kept us in a sort of small town America, Brunswick, Maine. And that allowed us to really flourish in sports. Just a small community, a great community, lots of good coaches, teachers, mentors, yeah. and so although my father had to really sacrifice, it was a better place for the family, and so I think my dad had one of the longest commutes yeah. of anyone I know.
2: Yeah,
0: wow, that's that's great, and you were g- gifted a basketball,
2: right?
1: It started, was it no at, question? Yeah, well, yeah, it, was, <laughs> it started in fifth grade, so I was sort of bitten by the bug in fifth grade, Okay. And in sixth grade, it really took off from there. And I was very fortunate. I had a great coach in junior high
2: mm-hmm. and
1: in high school. And then I was recruited. Duke, was, Duke and Northwestern were my final two schools, ironically. Mm. And um, my mom could only go on my visit to Northwestern. And she could not go on my visit to Duke. And that really pushed the envelope there because we shared that trip. Yeah. out in evanston and and so that was my choice and interestingly enough, I always kind of wanted to come back to Duke,
2: yeah,
1: I'm not sure exactly how I thought I would, yeah, but but then in coaching, you know it came together
0: that is so much better, so much better color <laughs> um so what do do you think that and and I don't want to jump too far ahead in your story, but I know you you eventually went from Michigan State to Duke. Do you think that that little seed inside of your head from back in high school and, and recruiting was something that led you there?
1: Absolutely. Well, it started at Maine when I was a coach. I remember a young coach at 26 years old. Yeah, I was reading at that time, Coach K's first book came out. And being a military brat and knowing his military background, I was always sort of investigating Coach K
2: Yeah,
1: and reading his books when they came out. So. We, we spent eight great years at Maine, fabulous experience. It was time for us to go and to sort of pass the torch. We got recruited to Michigan State, which was incredible to work alongside Tom Izzo and to be a part of that and to do so much in you know such a short period of time there. But But I did have this thing about Duke, wondering what it would have been like had I gone there and what was it truly like? And I was drawn there by you know, coach and made sure that I met with him when I visited campus. Cause initially I wasn't going to meet with him. Yeah. He, he wasn't on the itinerary and I requested a meeting because it was very important to me that I yeah. meet him. And it was a great conversation and, and it was, a, gosh, it was 13 years. So it's a long time.
0: Was it leading with the heart? Is that the book?
1: His first book. Yes, I'm going to say yes, it was that I think
0: it, it's, uh I think it's this one right here, my ring light. Yeah.
2: Yes. I, so think I, that,
0: yeah. I read that one on the deployment, and I've uh, – okay, Carolina fans, you turn it off if you want to, but I, I've always respected Coach K and really admired him for what he's done on and off the court. My favorite team was Team USA, but uh, I tell people that was my favorite team he coached incredible and and wow what an opportunity to um i mean you talk about being lucky with tom izzo and coach k uh right there with you oh my gosh but
1: i could write a book about that but i oh guess my, i won't i guess i, I bet it's tom, tom be izzo before, but yeah it was great i got to say about izzo i mean tom is just a remarkable person you know yeah. really uh, very helpful we went to the final four the same year they mm-hmm. were in Kansas City we were in Indy that was very special matter of fact it was Carolina that bumped Michigan I State
0: I wasn't going to say it in the semifinals <laughs>
1: yeah and if we made it to the finals you know that was probably the greatest moment of my personal uh, career uh, yeah. coaching against Pat Summit and beating them in the semifinal after being down 16 with nine minutes left that was quite a A a tall task and a great team uh, that accomplished that. But but I really, Michigan State is very special to me. And I wouldn't have left Michigan State ever if it hadn't been something so unique. And to be fair about the story though, Duke and Carolina were on my list because I the only list I had because I wanted to go back, I wanted to go to the triangle where all the basketball was quote happening.
0: Yeah, Tobacco Road.
1: So I was open to actually both schools and I never thought either one of them would open.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, and then, and then that opportunity did. Um, So it's funny how things work out sometimes.
0: Yeah. And then you, the part of your story that I really want to unpack here is uh, you were an assistant at Auburn uh, for, for four years, what, 88 to 92. And then uh, you were at Maine for about eight years there. And this is where your story to me it gets really intriguing because uh, that's where you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 30. Is that something that in hindsight, looking back, where did you first see symptoms of that or start to think that that could be something that you needed to um, possibly seek advice on?
1: Never did I think that in a million years. Um, Trip, you have to think back to how many years ago that was, yeah. right? It's 27 years ago the stigma attached to mental health impairment was, well, you didn't say anything. You didn't even say the words mental health. You Mm -hmm. didn't say the words mental health impairment. I was really excited about what we were doing. We were very good, um, becoming a very special team. And it's interesting that the birth of my daughter occurred in 94. And it was the year after um, having Maddie. And, And there's actually a lot discussed in research about hormones and shifts in bodies for women anyway and so it it occurred a year after and it surprised me it stunned me I was in denial I didn't believe it I I had doctors say I had to take this medicine and I didn't want to take any medicine I was an athlete like of course I didn't need medicine so my first episode I fought it you know I really fought hard not to accept what they were telling me about my brain. And at some point in there, I had a psychiatrist who was really thoughtful and said, you know, coach, you realize your brain's pretty special. And she came from that And I, you know, what do you mean by that? She said, well, did you realize the percentage of people with bipolar disorder, their IQ? And she started to talk about this sort of benefit or something I should know more about bipolar disorder. And she just caught my interest for a second there. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, and so then we were back to brain health. And then she she appealed to chemistry, you know, science, the yeah. idea that this is a chemical thing and it's very workable and this is what you do and no, you're still the same great athlete. And, and so it was really a shift I had to a psychiatrist who made all the difference for me Plus, of course, great family support. Yeah. You know, my, my husband wasn't actually too worried about it relative to, he saw it as a chemistry issue. He, he's yeah. a scientist by nature. And so he had a pretty even keel. But we had never heard of this before. I mean, bipolar disorder, we never heard of it before. And it was quite an education. And the team, my book is a lot about loyalty and, and just how that team stood by me. I took two weeks off, had to kind of reboot myself, obviously, and we went on and won more championships. Like we, we didn't even interrupt what we were doing. And I, the reason why I tell that story is because when you have the right doctors, when you have the right support, especially with a team, like I I did, then you can do anything still just be, you know, even if you have some kind of. Brain health issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, and like you mentioned, the stigma at the time was completely different. Was there ever a time where you're like, this is something that I want to come public with and be an advocate at this time? Or was that, were you worried about possibly like recruiting, just that stigma in general?
1: Well, at Maine, I can say I wasn't ready to. Yeah. I I just wasn't ready to talk about it publicly. And my players, did not know they knew that i had we called it exhaustion and that was actually accurate but there was much more to the story so in maine i was just kind of you know recovering from it now when i got to michigan state i started to percolate relative to sharing it and we zipped to a national championship game in five years and i thought that i had the platform I thought I had, you know, something maybe I could share it then. And I was counseled against it. And I think it was very wise counsel because had I come out about this, everything would have been about me in the press conferences, at practice, games, people, there are a lot of, there's a lot of ignorance out there about bipolar disorder. And it made me a better coach in so many ways, 80 ninety four percent of me six percent maybe there was an issue but overall it may be better and that's something that people it's hard for them to understand but it's exactly why we could go to a national championship in five years if that makes any sense
0: well, another question too is how did how did you balance because coaching i can only imagine like i coached a uh, 11 to 14 year old team at the YMCA one time. And I was stressed out of my mind. How in the world did you balance personal life and professional life uh, for that? line you mentioned tremendous support system there with your husband, but how, how did you do, do that so effectively for 32 years?
1: Well, it, it had its moments, uh, no doubt, but I will say this, that I was fairly boring, routine, working out, Eating well, going to bed roughly the same time, getting up the same time, staying busy, working off the wonderful energy that your student athletes give you. Right. right. You, you try to give them energy, but they give you so much energy. And so you propel along. And even with the wins and the losses, you stay steady because you stay focused on the game plan. I was really never too up or down as a coach upon victory. Like I was really into the process. Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we getting better? And we had ways in which we analyzed the process to get better. So don't get me wrong, it was fun to win championships and it was great stuff. But for the most part, I was kind of a the same a lot, you know, in terms of winning or losing. Yeah. And I just continued this way. Uh, Later in my career, I had a kidney issue that was a complication of the medicine I was taking. Mm. Uh, What that meant is I took a month of June off in sort of the summer months to kind of reboot that situation, but I was very able to return um, back. We went to a sweet 16, you know, my last year we were third in the league and, you know, so I was able to really kind of crescendo through, not to mention that the four straight elites, we were led by Jasmine Thomas and, we had these first
0: really
1: good grade, teams. Yeah, four straight elite aides, Chelsea Gray. Need I say another name besides Chelsea Gray? Yeah. So we had some pretty spectacular uh, student-athletes that led the way. and um, But I, I enjoyed them all so much, and I felt that my disorder, because it was monitored, was an asset because I was steady and focused, um, you know, all the way through um, – And then, of course, leaving coaching was much harder.
0: Yeah, I think with your story, I think the timing was like just right, because it was almost like that's when the world was really ready to talk about mental health. And it it was like post-COVID where, you know, the pandemic, I I was talking to my wife. My wife is studying for psychiatry. uh, And I always like to ask these questions to her and stuff. And I said, you know, when did mental health to you become such a buzzword? And the answer we kind of came up with was the pandemic, because before that, I know in the military, mental health's always in the back of the clinic, the back corner. Uh, You never talk about it. There's always stigmas associated with every single career. And I actually went and got seen and I have, I've, I I logged into a group of commanders yesterday to do some training. And first thing I said was I've been to mental health for you where do, we're still not quite where we need to be with mental health. Where would you like to see, or what strides would you like for us as a society to take with mental health in the next 10 years or so?
1: Oh gosh, there's so much. Uh, first language, you know, mental health are two beautiful words. Mental yes. health is to be celebrated. Yes. That, that is a wonderful thing. Mental health impairment is to be respected and nurtured you know? And so it's so important to recognize language. And I talk a lot about brain health because I'm quite impressed by the brain. And what it, the way it should go is just like somebody has a heart issue. You know, somebody saying to me, well, if you had a brain issue and you're, you know, coaching a game, you know, what would you do? And it was sort of a weird question. Well, wait a minute. If someone has a heart attack, coaching a game i suggest that they might not finish that game right see i mean like it's a heart issue it's a brain is a organ issue and it's like kidneys it's like high blood pressure it's it's genetic and trauma based in terms of getting it yep. but but some people high high blood pressure will kill people and they inherit that often and their environment can help that or or not. And so I think it needs to be normalized in a way that, you know, we have so many things we study in schools these days. Well, why don't we study the brain? I mean, I know there are some psych classes and that's great, I'm all for that. Uh, But the reality is, let's, let's look at the organs. Let's scientifically understand how they work. And then within the brain health class, you could go through some of the uh, disorders mm-hmm. that can, you know, develop. And I speak always on the entire spectrum of anxiety and depression. I mean, not just bipolar disorder, but just the whole spectrum of what it's like to not feel great with your brain. Yeah, And I'm very clear that I'm not a medical expert. I'm a coach and I can coach people. I can coach them up. I can get them to feel better about their situation. And maybe get them to take their meds or or something like
0: that. Yeah. And you said something too, like normalizing it, which I think is true because uh, I know in the military, we have the um, emotional, social, physical, and spiritual domains of wellness that we've got to be prepared with. And uh, I I teach emotional intelligence and we go over the brain science and that, and I always ask people, what does the brain do? And and the answers I get are, think, uh, you breathe. And, but I'm like, this is such a vital piece to us. Why do we not know more about it? You know, before we get into like the neocortex and amygdala and all what they do for us, but it's crazy as a society where our social domain is normalized, where we go out and we post stuff all over social media and hang out with people and take selfies, our physical domain, we go work out, we, people post pictures of their, their mile and a half that they ran around the neighborhood and then spiritual domain, we do yoga, we we read the Bible, we get the cup of coffee by the window, we we celebrate that. But when someone's like, I'm working on my emotional uh, wellness, it's like, oh, gosh, what's going on with you? And we got to break that and we got to normalize it more to where it's, hey, I take my car in every now and then to pop the hood and get it checked. I, I can do the same thing for myself. I need to tune up at times.
1: Um, I want to say, too, though, that being a patient, I guess, mm -hmm. for so many years now, one thing I always say, and I know that surgeons don't like this, but, you know, psychiatry is surgery of the brain without seeing it, Mm. you know, brain surgeons are going to see it, right? And they're going to have this wonderful dexterity, right? And how they manage that brain and fix it up or whatever, but when i think about my doctors that i've had and i think about the most the smallest amount of a drug the smallest amount yeah. and the effect that it can have it and also how it's so incredibly individual so you can never just say well this looks like you know this works like this it's always individual everyone's brain is different all the chemicals are different the way people manage it are different and so i just have so much respect for psychiatry for psychiatrists for people that have to administer medicine have to think about the mind and have to figure out what exactly fits and that's true. It's, it's extraordinary
0: that's true without seeing it yeah that's a, that's a really good way to look at it and uh you know, you go from Maine to Michigan State. You were there from 07. I re- that's where I, I think I really remember you the most before Duke was Michigan State, 2000 to 2007, Coach two Olympic teams. How was that?
1: Oh, that was great. I, I was very fortunate. A mentor of mine who also endorsed the book, uh, Tara Vanderveer, the head coach at Stanford, Yep. The, the Olympic coach, she worked with me and I was fortunate to coach two teams, one to Mexico City. And then the world championships were in Moscow the next year. And so to, you know, win gold with those women, again, incredible women. Uh, you just have to kind of organize things and let them do their thing and sometimes get out of the way of what they're accomplishing because they're also talented. But Tara was just a terrific role model of mine. And yes, it was very special to win gold medals, to win two of them. You know, it's something I'll always remember. and. Um, you know, just putting on the USA gears, a Navy brat, you know, here I am going oh, yeah. up at my hotel in Colorado Springs and I'm looking on my bed. They had it laid out all the USA gear. And I know that means so much to so many, but for me, again, you know, our country and Navy and the spirit of all of that, I just, I was blown away by it and really, really grateful.
0: That's, that's so cool to hear. Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine. And I, who was it? I interviewed Sherry Cole, coach Cole. Mm-hmm. She was on last season's rebound series and she was talking about um, coaching in the Olympics uh, mm-hmm. and stuff. And I think Jackie styles actually played in uh, the Olympics as well. So no, that's, that's really cool to hear that. One thing I want to ask you kind of to take a break before we get to the Michigan state piece, how, what do you think of the growth of women's basketball over the years? Because in the 80s, late 80s, uh, early 90s, I remember the the Final Four was like an afterthought almost on television. It was just kind of thrown in an ESPN slot. But now get just the biggest stage as, as the men get with the Final Four presentation.
1: Yeah, it is remarkable. I mean, you think about the great coaches, of course, but most importantly, you think about the great players. Mm-hmm. When you look at a Diana Tarassi, yeah, and what she's done for the game and how she played at Connecticut and how she led them uh, to national championships, And you know you think about Candace Parker, you know, somebody that was dunking it at a young age, so the rim wasn't quite as high anymore. You know, Candace had an incredible career at Tennessee. And the list goes on and on. I mean I can I right now I look at Chelsea Gray. I go back to Chelsea I mean we mm-hmm. recruited her. she came to Duke. She was incredible. She had some injuries at Duke, but now she's the best she's ever been. I've had so many people make a comment: she's the best passer in the game, male or female.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, she's a creator. You know, she leads her team as well. So there are names like that that just talent level skill sets have just gotten so much better. You know, mm-hmm. the three point shooting's gotten better, the ball has gotten better, just the way the game is played, the creativity. Um, again, Chelsea Gray is like Magic Johnson, right? I mean, she has that kind of no-look ability uh, where she can just—I mean, literally, her passes are incredible; they're magic. I mean, they're—you mm-hmm. know—she's her own person. You know, Magic's magic, I, and I like him because he's a Spartan. I had a chance to meet him and talk with him a little bit, but uh, the reality is, these these women have committed to their game, mm-hmm. and so now people are just. You know, my son's favorite player growing up at, in Durham was Chelsea Gray.
0: That's so cool.
1: He, he wrote an art. He wrote a piece on her about uh, my hero.
0: Oh, that's that's super cool.
1: Yeah, and he was just young because again, yeah. she was elevating in a way that people couldn't, you know, could relate to that on the women's game. It just seemed yeah. so like she was playing the men's game. And actually, what's happening is these women are playing the highest level of the women's game. not to mention better screens, better execution. I think, you know, more fundamental stuff across the board.
0: I was going to say, I've been watching a lot more the past couple of years, especially with my daughter being 15. And she is just absolutely hooked to college basketball and follows men's and women's. Um, But she, her and I will watch some of these games. and, And sometimes, if not more, especially now with transfer portals and NILs, women's basketball, to me, is a cleaner product. Like it is better plays run out there. It's just better half court offense better. I mean, the, the coaching, the X's and O's um, it, it's, I, I watched the ACC game not too long ago and uh, it was just fun to watch. It was just good yeah. basketball. Yeah. Huge advocate for it. And how cool you talked about the moment of laying out the team USA gear on your bed and just that like, wow, this is a super cool moment. 2005, the Final Four, and Indianapolis. I believe is at the RCA Dome, and you mentioned you coached against uh, Coach Summit, defeat Tennessee. Like you said, you had to come back, uh, and then played I think Baylor in the national championship game. But how cool was that for you? For especially the journey that you've been on, with your journey with bipolar disorder and everything, and even just starting out as an assistant at Auburn and being like, now I'm here one of the last two coaches here at the final four. How cool of an experience was that?
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to describe. I, I only think about that team. We had seven players that played, you know, the, the gift of of staying healthy. Mm -hmm. We we were seven deep, very talented because we played so well together. Yeah. Kristen Haney is an incredible point guard for us. And we had people that stepped up all over the place. Like the, you know, the, the starting five was so balanced and they knew each other so well. And I felt like they took me on a ride and our staff, you know, they, we beat that year. I mean, we beat Connecticut at Connecticut. We beat Notre Dame. Virtually impossible. Um, We beat Tennessee. We beat Stanford, uh, Vanderbilt. I mean, it just was one of those years where so many things came together. We won so many close games by the leadership. Yeah. And then to have that Tennessee game occur the way it did, we, we struggled with our legs. You know, after that Tennessee game comeback, I will say the national championship was kind of tough. But you have to give credit to Kim's team. That Baylor team was super, super good. Yeah. Um, but, I no, I can't say enough about it. And our our families were there. You know, the entire town of East Lansing was there. People, you know, it just brought together community in a way that was – Was it was just incredible, as as you might imagine, the final four. I had been twice as an assistant and to go as a head coach was beyond special. And the final four memories are just something you'll never forget if you're so fortunate to be there.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't even begin to imagine. I read somewhere that before you ended up going to Duke, uh, there was rumors of like Florida or LSU potentially trying to to lure you that way, but I think you answered it earlier, like why you chose Duke ultimately, but where do you think your journey would have ended up if you just would have stayed at Michigan State?
1: Well, it, oh, that was such a difficult situation. Yeah. There were some contract negotiation problems. Uh, there was a big issue about a buyout that I didn't think belonged. That's what I read. Yeah, and that was too bad because it kind of soured things a little bit because I had asked them to take it out and that I'd feel better about that. Not so much to leave, just not to be sort of owned the yeah. way in which those buyouts, I think buyouts are a really bad thing for a lot of reasons. Um, but anyway, wait, what did you ask me?
2: <laughs> just
0: about the uh, basically, where do you think you would have ended up? If you, How do you
2: think your career think would, it, play yeah. so, would have played out? Okay, stayed?
1: so going back to Michigan State. Okay, well, we had a Final Four team the next year. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had stayed, I think we had a chance to go back to the Final Four. the The team we had we left, yeah, was pretty extraordinary. And I think that we probably would have gone to a few more Final Fours. We had a lot going on. We had some very good recruiting. I I definitely feel we left the cupboard completely full, a mm-hmm. six nine player and all sorts of people. And and I wasn't leaving. I mean, I wasn't going to. I was leaving because. Duke was such an incredible opportunity.
2: Yeah. The
1: timing was right for me and my, our family and the contract couldn't get settled. And I, I want to say this though. I'm really proud that I didn't say that then. In other words, I took the high road. Yes. I didn't, I didn't say to the East Lansing people, by the way, this isn't working out with the yeah. contract. I, I, I stepped away and said, this is what we need to do. This is a special job that we're going to. Um, And I paid a huge price for that, for not sharing that, because people were so angry vilified, and, and... you know, took it personally, when in fact it was technically changeable at at a time in the negotiations. But then it just didn't, I never got that buyout. And then, of course, Duke's over here saying we don't have buyouts. Yeah. I mean, you know, here you are saying, wait a minute. You know, buyout here, and buyouts just made you feel awful. It, again, it wasn't like you were going to depart anywhere. You know, but you wanted to be able to be authentically staying at a place you love, not sort of held there.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. I bet that was tough too. What was it two thousand nine, the Berkeley Regional when at Duke, y'all played Michigan State second round. How how emotional was that for you?
1: Oh, very very difficult. Um, all credit to Michigan State. Those were our players. I mean, yeah. they played They played incredibly well. And I think it was so surreal because when I would make a call or something, 10 players would look at me. The five Duke oh. players and the five Michigan State players. Yeah. Trying to, you know, figure out what was going on and... I think that was a little bit of a ploy that they had been given by the the sports psychiatrist there. In other words, I think that was a little bit of a a plan that they had because it was so odd, you know, to have 10 eyes look at you. And we started well in the game, but it was a very, not a good game for us and a superlative game for Michigan State that evening. And one of my players, former players came out to me after and said, are you proud of me? Oh. You know, and I said yes. Of course, I am. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. It was just, it was it was too close, right? I yeah It was very disingenuous of the committee and
0: selection it, committee gets very sneaky with that stuff. Yeah,
1: they they like to get kind of catty and let's do this. And I felt it was a little disingenuous, but I also know that that sometimes happens too.
0: So I'm not throwing this Tar Heel card back out there, but I got sick <laughs> and tired of seeing Roy Williams lined up with Kansas on a bracket for years there. Uh it was just and they'll do little things like you can tell when a coach goes to a new school or someone transfers. You can almost predict who's going to be on the seven ten line in the, the tournament. You're like, oh, they're going to try to pair those two up for a, a second round game. How yeah, are Roy, you on...
1: that's a good example though. Yeah, Roy and not Yeah, that's a good one. For like I, three years there. Think, yeah. That's the best one, I think. It, because
0: it, it was tearing him up every single time. And then I think they they beat us in the tournament, and then Roy shows up to the Final Four supporting Kansas with a sticker, and Tar Heel fans just absolutely tore him up for that. And I'm like, he 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 coached there. He he spent years of his life there. That's the, thing, the part I hate is when. Well,
1: that's the thing I want to add. I mean, as coaches, we do see it that insular in terms of the love. For the student athletes we had there right i mean the, the way i cheer for maine the way i cheer for michigan state the way i cheer for duke the way i cheer for auburn mm-hmm. like you just don't ever forget right right you don't forget where you've come from you don't forget the experiences you've had coaches may change or times may change but i could easily go up to east lansing right now sit courtside and go bananas yeah you know, I mean, like it doesn't matter whether or not I was welcome or not it wouldn't be the case. You just support. You love those teams and you love the reasons you were there.
0: Yeah. And something else I want to ask you about, too, which I, I when I mentioned I talked to Coach Cole and she said that the pandemic was kind of the, the portion where she was like, I think I'm about done with this. I've got to pack things up for you. Two thousand. It was what? Summer? Early summer of 2020 is when you ended up retiring. How much did the pandemic year play into that?
1: Okay. So let's see, let's back it up. I stepped away in July 1st, 2020, and I had written Secret Warrior was kind of before the pandemic Okay, because I completed that. I was writing that in May. Make sure I had this right. I was writing that in May because we couldn't pandemic had hit and we couldn't go out and recruit much. Yeah. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything. So I had extra time to be writing. So that's how that happened for me. And then as pandemic was happening and you're going into the next year, I had two issues pandemic. Yes. But I was had the last year of my contract coming up. Mm. And we had finished third in the league in the ACC my last year, except that got evaporated like everybody did because pandemic, nobody played that NCAA tournament.
2: Right.
1: I felt really good about that strong finish because we had had a tough year that year with some early losses in December and some issues on the team, just issues with all sorts of issues that we had to work through. And then we had this incredible crescendo finish. Now, we never got to go to the NCAA tournament to see what would have happened. But to me, that was a little bit of a completion. Yeah. And on top of it, I had a year left on my contract. So I felt like, well, I can be done now. And I can be done. And we can work something out with Duke. I can, you know, get some kind of severance with them, which I did. And I can get some money for my assistance. And... A uh, person of color, a new coach can come in because, of course, Black Lives Matter, all of that was going on. It just seemed like a a good thing.
0: Once again, timing.
1: Yeah, it, it was really timing and and really special for me. I, You know, I really wanted to help out my assist, assistants. It didn't turn yeah. out that way, but in terms of how the money was spent. But I felt like I was departing and also departing and giving, you know, asking for the same severance I got. Yeah. It, was th- it was three months, right? But I wanted three months for everybody.
0: It seems like a lot of your journey is all about timing, like really good timing <laughs> with everything. It, it's yeah. I mean, everything with the mental health piece to the retiring. I mean, it's just like everything. It seems like lines up perfectly. Where, where were you when you found out the news? Were you all getting ready for the ACC tournament when you found out about, Hey, everything's been canceled.
1: No, we were done. The guys, ACC tournament was canceled. I remember that. And we were done with ours and we were, I think we were back. And then that's it, right. Cause the it, women's
0: is a week before.
1: Right. And then it hit, then it was like, you're done. And that was obviously for everybody. Just hard to understand.
0: The men's was so weird with that trophy ceremony with Florida state. I don't know if you remember that, but they kind of just came out on the court and handed them the trophy and Never to be heard from the rest of that year. So it was, it was just, an, it was a different time, a different time. What was something you really learned about yourself during that moment of the world got put on pause?
1: That I loved writing.
2: Mm. You yep. know, I
1: the I have two books out, right? I've got the choice, not chance. And that was published while I was coaching at Duke. Yep. And then secret warrior, you know, came out and i had been working on that and that's because i felt it was time I, yeah you know it just was time i was i was getting itchy uh to tell that story um and then of course it paralleled what was going on with the mental health piece and now i take fiction writing i'm writing a fictional novel which really? will take but fiction is <laughs> much, much more difficult than nonfiction and i I give myself ten years to complete this book.
0: I always ask what uh, authors who do fiction. How do you choose names for your characters?
1: Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, I mean, you you think about you know you've got your villains and you've got your heroines and heroes and and I don't know. I have to think about something that will allow me to remember them. Yeah, because you've got all these characters and you got to remember like what what fits what. Yeah. And the story arc can be very complicated. And it's not about like you you're sort of, you know, third person away from it. This is not like I'm not writing an autobiography or biography, I'm writing fiction. Right. Technically modern historical fiction, you know, modern, not not really historical fiction, but
2: right.
1: trying to cover all sorts of concepts where if you read the book trip, I would hope that you would be seeing all the themes but not necessarily you would know who's who
2: right
0: so okay. be- before i have you tell us about your two books um i've asked this question to someone before apparently trip is not a good romance novel name would trip be a a hero or a villain name i have a film because i like north carolina
1: you know you know i'm gonna say it could be both it depends on how you write up the character
0: Okay. Well, I like North Carolina, so I'm a, I'm a hero.
1: It's yeah, a character development <laughs> all, all the way.
0: Okay. <laughs> so yeah, do, do tell our listeners more about uh choice, not chance. And which was, I believe a, a philosophy you had back from your time at Maine, correct.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: as well as behind you a uh, secret warrior.
1: Yeah. I think the choice, not chance, you know, rules for building a fierce competitor That was something that sort of came out of me while I was coaching and also telling the story going from Maine to Michigan State to Duke and the challenges that brought to be at three different schools, even though I stayed long periods of time at the schools, just the transition, what it was like for me, my staff, obviously my family, um, but the whole dynamic and plus the lessons learned within that. So that was very nonfiction, very basketball related, uh, basketball related story. And then, of course, Secret Warrior is definitely more about my my journey, um, the nonfiction story of my brain health journey and what I've learned as, as 27 years having bipolar disorder and what I could share about what happened during that story. And my fictional novel, Stay Tuned, 10 years from now. Yep. And, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on, on season 13 of the rebound series. We'll, we'll yeah. start plugging that one. And if somebody wants to get a copy of either one of those books, where would you point them to
2: uh,
1: just to Amazon, you know, go okay. right on Amazon, put in Joanne P. Macaulay or put in the titles. It's really easy. The books are cheap because they start out, you know how it is. They start out a lot more and then you get this great, you know, bestseller stuff. And then they just tank, you know, so they're like, $5 or whatever they are, um, but I'm proud of them. And I was fortunate to bring money into my, you know, as I raised money for this brain health foundation, Yeah, I was able to get some good money and I can thank Robin Roberts for that because she had me on good morning America. And we were talking about so awesome. brain health and stories over stigmas and, and she really lifted my book and supported it so that monies could come in. So I can be in that process because I'm looking at a 2024 launch of, I think we'll call it the Secret Warrior for Brain Health Foundation, where nice. I can take monies back to where I've been, sort of trace my my yeah. path, so to speak, and and look at more rural communities as well in that and nice. try to, you know, be, be helpful there.
0: Yeah, I mean, doing so many, I mean, y'all, Duke actually had, what, a mental health game that they had? That was
1: our game!
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Yes. That was, I don't think they do it anymore.
0: <laughs> 2000, I think 21 was the last time they did it.
1: Yeah, we did it. We did it for my last, I don't know, two or three years. It was really cool. Um, we connected in Kyrie Irving he gave us the shoes because the shoes were so beautiful because they were green and yeah. dupe blue, uh, green, the mental health color. And, yep. and it was fabulous. And people, our fans got a big thrill about being on the concourse and having painting and yoga, and massage chairs, oh, and cool. dog dog therapy. Like it was really cool to bring it to the forefront, and I got a lot of comments about that. And I think that we 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 all shared in that in a lot of ways. We we had different things going on with our team and different issues, but we all shared in that together, and that was a lot of fun.
0: Really good concept. Just such a good concept. Um, and speaking of good things that you're doing, public speaking out there. Uh, I I think I saw you on, it was Twitter or somewhere, but you had your ring light and everything all fired up. Uh, (laughs) you'll see another one and you're standing in front of a large group talking. So talk to us about, um, that public speaking and, and the engagements you've been doing with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's anywhere, anywhere, any place, anytime. I am fortunate to have a very top assistant who works for me. I've had an agent, I have a speakers bureau, so I have Lots of people trying to help me. They all know what we're trying to do with the foundation. I do not take a salary. I have a, you know, I'm trying to get to a spot where I can just load up a bunch of money into that. Um, and so it's a process, it, it does take time. But I've been a- for anywhere from Mississippi State to Bowdoin College, to Tennessee Tech, to L'Oreal, to a large, you know, huge Zoom with, uh, with Sanofi um i it, it goes on very different all different places i've done pro bono and then i've done the corporate speak which is gets obviously very lucrative for a yeah. foundation so you have the whole gamut and i you know i have wonderful people that balance my schedule and get spots for me to go and apb is my speakers bureau i'm very proud of them they're super good out of boston the american programming bureau and they have a lot of fascinating People, I might not be in the starting five of that group considering the shark tank folks are part of that, you know, or, or others, but I definitely, I love the chance to chat and coach, not just about brain health, but just about leadership, team building, coaching, brain health, motivation, all of that, you know, so it's all those things and I just try to cater each talk to what seems to fit the particular um, corporation or, or college or whatever it
0: is. Yeah. Very diverse with, with what you bring to the table with that. And uh, coach P 4 life.org. Uh, I encourage every single listener out there right now to head over to it. Uh, I know you got some sort of phone by you pick it up, <laughs> type in coach P life.org. Very well put together.
1: Yeah. And I want to add on that. I got to mm-hmm. add. because Now I'm doing one-on-one coaching. Oh wow. Okay, so, so via Zoom, right? Yep. So um if people would like to engage in that, that's coach P the number four life at gmail.com.
0: How cool that's, would that be that this is your coach?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's I, it's been super fun. It's been so rewarding to sit with a person and and hear their story. And, and we get right to it. I just ask them, you know, what? How can I yeah. help? What what can I help you with? Let's go. And again, it's a mixed bag of issues. The hour goes by very quickly. Um, but coach at gmail that sends you to that coaching. And then of course, you've got my social, which you were saying, the coach be for life, you know um, on all social and and social is exhausting because you know your 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 folks, your team tries to keep it up with you and and tells you to post again or to do this picture and Sometimes it's a lot, but then I've also said that I, I'm not apologetic because I know yeah. what I'm doing with this foundation. And a lot of people are on social just to be social. You yeah. know, I'm on social trying to get people on board and I need to find my billionaire. I'm still looking.
2: Yeah.
1: Or my billionaire that says, okay, Coach P, I'm sponsoring you. Let's go. And I get to all these communities. You know, I have this vision of, of somebody – You know, just stepping up and really supporting me getting to spots and uh, making it making an investment in me.
0: Well, you mentioned Shark Tank. So (laughs) that's a that's a a good group right there. At the end of the day, when all is said and done 50 years from now, I mean, you're you're etched in record books uh, across college basketball and I would say uh, mental health advocacy. But you've got books out there. That are going to be around for years and years and years and years. What do you want people to say about you for your legacy?
1: Um, I think I think I'd like people to say that you know Coach P tried to make a difference. Yeah, you know, loved developing people and had a real soul, real real soul about what I've tried to accomplish because I, my hopefully me and for my family our biggest accomplishment. I hope it's coming down the pike. I hope it's that foundation. Wow. Uh, my children will be serving on as on the board. I've got some board people selected. I mean, you can imagine. Uh, let's go a few generations from now, and it's you know secret war for brain health. I'll be long gone into the heavens. Um, so I think we're looking for a really a, a national championship or world championship. You know, something that can really impact lives and. I'd like to think I impacted lives and have done that. But I think we want to just blow it out of the water and really make it spectacular because when people have good brain health and good balance there, there are just no limits to what people can do. And I had been on that side of not feeling so good Mm -hmm. to feel balanced. And I, I, I have felt that difference and I would like other people to feel that difference.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, too, because I like I said, I I just talked to a, a large group yesterday and I was telling them how rewiring, getting my brain just right, like actually focusing and working on it as opposed to just saying that's ah, there. It's going to think for me. But I, I'm 40 years old and i spent probably 38, 39 years not knowing how to properly, uh, you know, condition my brain. So. Um, so undervalued, but it's probably the most vital piece we have in our body, uh, right there with our heart. So, yeah, folks, definitely go check out her books. Check out coachpforlife.org. Ma'am, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. What final comments do you have for our listeners?
1: Oh, I just appreciate so much being here with you, Trip, And, you know, for your listeners, I think they have an awesome opportunity. To be hearing your story. I mean, just what you've done, you're only 40 years old. Like that's ridiculous. You well, that's know, your, only. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're so young. I'm 17 years older than
0: you. You're still super young, though. That's still super but, young.
1: Super young, but I just I, I thank you and I applaud what you're doing and and the guests you're having, and the you know, the, the collaboration, the dialogue, all the things you're doing, and and then your brain health. I just can't say enough about how you're trying to teach about emotional intelligence and brain, all of that. It'll go a long way. I think the military is fantastic. A dream of mine would be to speak to military, a a huge group. I mean, can you imagine how fun it would be to talk from a military brat standpoint, where I came from, and just to encourage, encourage everybody uh, to think about things a little bit differently. Uh, But you're on that path, and you're setting that path. So I just. Your listeners are very
0: fortunate and thank you for having me. I got you with the military piece. Well, folks, that's going to what an amazing first episode here for season three of the Rebound series. We have more Duke players coming up on this. We have Ricky Price from Duke. In fact, whenever we got on the phone, I said, I'm a fan, don't hang up. We have Coach Doherty. We're working on a couple other ones that I haven't exactly finalized just yet but um getting pretty close maybe have to balance out the tar heel thing a little bit we'll see you back for another episode next week here on the shadows podcast